Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Even though so very much is kept under wraps, so very much is kept concealed from us, we the people in this nation and the peoples of the free world. I have mentioned before about a film documentary entitled Above and Beyond, a work by Steven Spielberg's sister, one of his many talented sisters, Nancy, and her close friend, Roberta Grossman, and the great work that they did on that. And I'm going to be commenting with reference to that, not directly, but with reference to that work and another pertaining to the same subject matter. But, you know, we hear time and time and time again about this special relationship between the United States of America and Great Britain or the United Kingdom or England or (laughs) however you choose to frame that. And, of course, there is considerable interest in what is happening across the pond relative to this matter of Brexit or the exit, the departure, the intended departure of England or Great Britain or the United Kingdom from the European Union. And the frantic efforts that have been made ever since that measure was passed to the shock, dismay, astonishment, and horror of those who were sure it could not, but their frantic efforts to derail it, to prevent it. But this special relationship of the United States of America and Great Britain, it's very special. It goes back to the War for Independence and the War of 1812 and so forth, when we were not quite so enamored with one another, shall we say. And then it continues on up, of course, through the war between the states when there was interest on the part of some to actually support the CSA, the Confederate States of America, but which really didn't get off the ground. It really didn't have legs. It did not happen uh, for one reason and another. And then on up through the Great War, the First World War, and then the successor to the Great War, World War II. And, of course, moving on to the Gulf War and its successor and to the efforts still ongoing in Iraq, Afghanistan, and so forth. And, of course, uh, through NATO. This close, intimate, special relationship between Great Britain and the United States of America. But one extremely interesting telling 
damning chapter of this relationship took place not only prior to World War II, but then continued through World War II and following World War II. But before I reference that, let me ask you this. What is the ultimate measure of a good citizen here in the United States of America? I wonder, what would it be? Would it be for you and I to be law-abiding citizens? Would that constitute, you know, excellent par excellence citizenship? Well, that depends. But then what about the laws? What if the laws are evil? Back during the rule and reign, the reign of terror of Bill Clinton and Hillary Rodham Clinton and Vice President Albert Arnold Gore Jr., Hillary was in charge of the war room, not just to get Bill elected the first time or to get Bill elected the first time and reelected thereafter, but to absolutely quash all claims, legitimate claims, against Bill Clinton with reference to his grievous offenses against women. Unfortunately, there was no pursuit with regard to his grievous, grievous crimes against young girls. But, depends on your definition of young. (laughs) Depends on what the definition of is is. But I'm referring to 14-year-olds, perhaps 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. It's chronicled, it was chronicled by Jeremiah Films concerning Bill Clinton and Roger and other close friends, close associates that predated Jeffrey Epstein and used other means. But that's for another day. But the war room was active for eight solid years in the bowels of the White House. Prior to that, there was a war room in Arkansas that, again, Hillary was in charge of. And Hillary, when she was in the White House, outranked Al Gore. She was the co-president per the president's statement on taking office. But During their reign, they not only, well, it's going to take too long to go into all of this, but to say that they criminalized opposition to induced abortion. When I say opposition to induced abortion, I mean being conscientious objectors, picketing, public display of prayer outside of abortion mills, of abortion slaughterhouses, picketing, sidewalk counseling, sit-ins, 
so forth. Now, mind you, if these individuals involved in these behaviors had done so outside of college campus headquarters here, there, and the other place around this nation, they would have been highly valued. They would have been honored and esteemed most highly if they had been protesting racism, you know, anti-black racism, not anti-white racism, because, of course, that never happens. But if they'd been doing something great like that, or if they had been picketing and protesting and what have you, having sit-ins in order to force college university administrations not to have investments in South Africa, that sort of thing. Uh, And in order to force them to embrace strident feminism and to force them to honor the sodomite agenda and that sort of thing, then they would have been honored and esteemed just like that 16-year-old high school girl from Sweden who's nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for her picketing concerning global climate change. But Hillary, yes, Bill was involved, Al was involved, but Hillary was the lead stormtrooper in charge of criminalizing opposition to induced abortion and making it a felony offense and using anti-racketeering laws, bringing them to bear, perverting them, and using them to criminalize honorable, honest, noble, charitable, self-sacrificing behavior, and to make felons out of the best and brightest of Americans. But law-abiding behavior, it's so important, except again when you have corrupt, wicked government. Not that we have ever had corrupt, wicked government. Not in the United States of America, not in Great Britain, not in Canada, not in France, right? Well, let's go back a ways. Back to before the United States of America was involved in World War II. Back before Great Britain was involved in World War II. Back when World War II consisted of Hitler's Nazi Third Reich taking over Czechoslovakia. First, he rolled into Rhineland, which he was prevented from doing. Absolutely, utterly, totally prevented from doing, even though it's Germany, but prevented from militarizing Rhineland. But <laughs> that was his first movement. And lo and behold, even though it was absolutely forbidden by the Treaty of Versailles from the end of World War I, There was no movement, no objection, no movement by the allied powers, by France, Britain, and so forth. 
then emboldened by his success there, he went ahead and he prodded into Sudetenland. And he managed to manipulate Neville Chamberlain, that visionary leader, into giving him what he wanted with regard to that. Oh, yes, they would cede Sudetenland because Neville Chamberlain went to bat for Hitler. And he managed to coerce the leaders of France, Czechoslovakia, what have you, to cause Czechoslovakia to cede government of the Sudetenland to Nazi Germany. It wasn't supposed to go that way. There was supposed to be a referendum, and the people of Sudetenland would vote on this. That was an outrageous, outrageous concession. But by the time Hitler received that concession, it wasn't good enough for him. And there were a great many Germans in Sudetenland, and it was a slam dunk that they would vote for Nazi Germany. But that wasn't good enough. No, he had to have absolute total control of Sudetenland. And so demanded that or else, and was given that. On the condition that he would not, you know, make any other offensive land-grabbing moves. And then after a brief time, his armor rolled through Sudetenland on into all of Czechoslovakia. This is after having taken Austria. And of course, the next piece in the puzzle to fall was Poland. And of course, Hitler famously, infamously blamed the destruction of Poland on Poland, that Poland had purportedly, fictitiously attacked Germany. But it was exactly the same claims he had made in Sudetenland. In Sudetenland, supposedly, the Czech people were committing terrible, egregious crimes against the Germans in Sudetenland. Absolute, total fiction. The opposite was occurring. And with regard to Poland, exactly the same lies. And he rolled into Poland after having bombed Poland to ashes. But finally, Britain declared war. Finally, France was involved. (laughs) To no avail, mind you. It was far too little, far too late. But even after this, Jews who attempted to flee from Germany to Britain were refused. Jews who attempted to flee to the United States of America were refused. Hitler even saw fit to offer to send shiploads of Jews to the United States of America and was infamously refused. This wonderful, special relationship of Britain and the United States of America condemned multitudes of Jews to annihilation. 
to slaughter, to horror, to terror, to annihilations of entire families and extended families. Oh, yes, these great lovers of freedom, Britain and America. Marvelous, wonderful, where, you know, the majority of, well, I shouldn't say the majority, a great deal of my heritage, my lineage, is from, of course, in later generations here in the United States of America and prior to that, Britain and also Europe. But, as is true for a great many Americans, but, oh, we're such lovers of freedom. My, just tremendous. Interestingly enough, the United States of America under the current President Donald Trump is stating that, of course, it will unleash untold vengeance upon Iran if Iran harms anything American, drones and what have you. Not people, just, you know, hardware. If they do that, that is war. But not only did Britain and did the United States of America refuse to receive Jews from Germany and consign them to destruction, they, their families, their little ones, not only that, but during World War II, when some were focused on the need, the crying need, the absolute critical need to liberate the concentration camps, those in leadership thought otherwise. And so that did not happen. So by the time the concentration camps were liberated, the overwhelming majority of the Jews sent to those camps had been slaughtered. And then there were many still remaining there who were at death's door, many who died after the liberation. But in addition to that, Britain, outstanding Britain, wonderful Britain. I need to make a, uh, a segue here. Great Britain, at the end of the war, five weeks after the end of the war, they, of course, ousted Winston Churchill. So I will <laughs> accept him from this, all right? He wasn't in power in Great Britain when Britain was refusing the Jews. And he wasn't in power in Great Britain following the end of World War II. He would come back into power several years later. But his government was turned out because the British chose to back the liberal party, so-called, the leftist socialist party. And Great Britain chose to do everything in its power 
to ensure that survivors of the Holocaust could not immigrate to Palestine. It did everything in its power. It criminalized transport of Jews from Germany and from the other occupied nations to Palestine. It armed the militaries of all of the Arab Muslim nations, regimes, who had been in league with Adolf Hitler's Nazi Third Reich. This was the work of Great Britain. But the United States of America would follow suit. Those who attempted to bring Jews who had survived the Holocaust to Palestine were refused entry, were deported, were jailed in what amounted to concentration camps. When you hear, you know, the claims of concentration camps with regard to illegal immigrants into the United States of America being made by the leftists, you need to take a look at what the British did in Palestine. They were actual concentration camps minus the gas the gas showers and the crematorium ovens. Minus that, they were concentration camps from the dear British. But, lo and behold, Britain promised, Britain promised to give all of Palestine to the Arabs. Yes, the Arabs who had been in league with Adolf Hitler's Nazi Third Reich, in league with attempting to annihilate the Jews. Britain, Great Britain, Christian Great Britain, which also had Jewish population, it conspired with the Arab regimes to cede all of Palestine to the Arabs, which it had controlled since 1920. Fascinating. But interestingly enough, (laughs) New World Order United Nations, interesting, impossibly interestingly enough, it voted to divide Palestine between Jews and Arabs. (laughs) And the Arabs, the Arab regimes were up in arms about that. They were counting on getting all of Palestine. But there was a date set for when this handover would take place. The vote was November 29th, 1947. And Britain stated that they would be fully evacuated. They would be gone from Palestine, effective midnight of May 15th, 1948. 
The Arab regimes, consequently, planned to commence their invasion of Israeli-controlled, Jewish-controlled Palestine on May the 15th. These Arab regimes, their combined armies were numbered at 4 million, give or take, 4 million. But they were not armed with muskets and swords and on horseback. No, 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 no. They had been equipped by Western nations. Yes, by the Nazis, by the Brits, <laughs> you know, by various powers. They had modern, state-of-the-art equipment. They had equipment that was used during World War II, the same exact arms that were used during World War II. The arms that were used at the very end of World War II, just a few short years, couple and a half short years before. Three short years to the date of their invasion. But that wasn't enough. (laughs) That wasn't enough of an advantage over the Jews. The Jewish population in Palestine was approximately 600,000. But that was not an army. The Arab armies, combined armies, depending whether you want to look at it as being five nations or six, six is actually, (laughs) both numbers are given. I happen to think six is more accurate. You have Syria, Lebanon, which, you know, is or isn't included, Jordan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Egypt. But four million. But Jews, 600,000 approximately. Whom did that consist of? Was that their army? No, that was not their army. The four million man army of the Arabs with state of the art military equipment and training including state-of-the-art Air Force, (laughs) armored divisions, anti-aircraft guns, you name it, they had it. And, of course, massive munitions. But Israel, tiny Israel that was to come into existence at midnight of May 15th, 1948, so 12.01 a.m. May 16th, it had nothing, all but nothing. 600,000 included elderly, as well as emaciated survivors of concentration camps, those who had managed to get to Palestine, despite the blockades. Women, young people, children, babies. 
you would think that would have been a compelling enough scenario that Great Britain, the United States of America, Canada, France, all of Europe, Italy, Spain, yes, you know, even Marxist Spain, everybody and their brother would have been up in arms about it and would have pledged their full support to protect and defend the Jews. You would think, after the Holocaust, we're talking three years after the Holocaust has ended. Nope. Not only was there no support, but quite something else. But before I continue, let me just say that this is after all is said and done. I'm Brad Thomas, and whatever's right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. Not only did the Western powers not lift a little finger to defend the Jews in Palestine, now Israel, from annihilation from absolute annihilation. Not only did they not do that, they didn't say a word in their favor. But if that weren't enough, there was a United Nations embargo, worldwide embargo, prohibiting any arms to be sold to the nations in the Middle East. Now, if that arms embargo had been, in fact, honored, kept with reference to the Arab nations, they still were fine. They had their armies intact, fully equipped. But it wasn't, interestingly enough, it wasn't honored. Great Britain continued to pour armaments into Jordan and Egypt, and not just to sell them armaments, but to give them military equipment. Give. Gift. Yes, Great Britain. Great, 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 great Britain did that. Great Britain gave during the U.N. worldwide embargo, gave Egypt 50 more brand-spanking-new Spitfire latest-generation fighters. There were 24 different generations of Spitfire fighter planes during World War II. They gave Egypt 50 brand-spanking-new of the most modern, most current, most state-of-the-art fighter planes. But as if that weren't enough, and again, great armaments to Jordan and Egypt during this embargo, if that were not enough, they also provided pilots. Royal Air Force pilots who at... I should say, immediately prior to the invasion, would take a leave of absence from the RAF and would fly on behalf of Egypt. They were stationed in Cairo. And these pilots told an American 
pilot who had served in Europe, who was reassigned there briefly, they told him that, to his astonishment. He thought he was through with the war. He didn't have any desire for anything more with regard to warfare. And then he heard this while he was there. And he had a change of mind, change of thought, change of heart concerning staying out of the battle. So he volunteered to Israel. But Israel had nothing, no Air Force, nothing, no anti-aircraft guns, nothing, no armor, no armored divisions, no tanks, no anything, not even rifles, let alone machine guns. But hey, they were only up against 4 million well-equipped, bloodthirsty Muslim Arabs absolutely hell-bent on not just taking some territory, but literally expunging the Jews from the face of the earth. But the United States of America, United States of America, what did it do? I mean, besides honoring the U.N. embargo, as all nations worldwide did with reference to Israel. It's interesting, they didn't honor it with regard to the Muslim Arabs. (laughs) There were millions and millions and millions strong and had all of these highly developed militaries, but they honored it. That is, they kept it with reference to the sick starving, dying Jews in Palestine. Christian United States of America. So too Canada, but United States of America. But that wasn't enough. No, the United States of America went on the offensive. United States of America, under the great, great leadership of Democrat President Harry Truman, and his now, meaning at that time, his now Secretary of State, George Marshall Plan Marshall. That's right, George Marshall, the first five-star army general in the history of the United States of America, a man who received all manner of incredible, (laughs) incredible laudits or laudatory praise. Yes, George Marshall, who would be awarded in 1953 with the Nobel Peace Prize. Georgie boy was the... Secretary of State Chief. State Department Secretary. Great man. Couldn't have chosen a more outstanding man for this job. George Marshall, without going into the various controversies concerning his military career, and there were many, But he was, in my view, the first in a long line 
of politician executive military commanders. Not along the lines of a George Patton or something like that, some terrible ones like that, but an executive. Almost his entire military career consisted of being an executive as compared to what you or I might view as being a soldier. In other words, more of a bureaucrat than anything else. Oh, I know there will be those who will say, that is a terrible thing to say. But in my view, he was. But fascinating history of George. It did include a stint over in China prior to becoming Secretary of State in which he pressured Chiang Kai-shek of the free Chinese to accept a ceasefire. And that ceasefire saved Mao Zedong's communists from defeat. But, oh, he was such a, a great man and a great military leader, supposedly. But... Again, there were many fascinating facets of his military career, which (laughs) I shan't go into except to say that being Secretary of State, being in charge of the powerful Department of State under Harry Truman, at Truman's direction, he put the Secretary's powers in force to seek out and to stop any and all who would seek to aid, to come to the aid of the embattled, besieged, soon-to-be, very soon-to-be slaughtered Jews in Israel. He put the entire weight of the State Department behind this. But that wasn't enough. There was also the Treasury Department that was employed. Treasury Department, think FBI. The FBI, it went to bat for the same thing. Passports that were issued that year, 1948, they had a very fascinating little addendum that's, frankly, hard to imagine, but it stipulated that the passports could not be used for entry to a place such as Israel. The exact wording was this, quote, this passport is not valid for travel to or in any foreign state for the purpose of entering or serving in the armed forces of such a state, end quote. Now, you might think, well, gee, that's reasonable. That's to, you know, keep Americans here, you know, Muslim Americans from going over and committing terrorist acts against America. No, 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 no. This was enacted for one purpose, only one purpose. This is back in 1948 
71 years ago. This was dreamt up and this was enacted expressly to ensure the destruction of Israel and the annihilation of the Jews by the Muslim Arabs. Why would the United States of America and Great Britain and the rest of the free world, the Western nations, the Western powers, why would they do such things? Why? Impossible. Surely that cannot be the case. But it was the case. Dear old Harry, give him hell, Truman. He was not satisfied to prevent all possibility of aid via the federal government of the United States of America being provided to Israel. No, he had to provide for another scenario. He had to make certain that no private citizens could send any military equipment to Israel, to what would be Israel, Palestine, and had to make certain that none would go to Palestine to fight on behalf of the Jews, on behalf of the Jewish nation on the verge of being recognized. So what did Harry do? Not only did he absolutely positively ensure that the federal government would not in any way, shape, or form provide any support to the soon arrival of Israel, of a state, a modern state of Israel, but he dredged up that old, nasty, wicked neutrality act, which had been created in the 1930s, with the express purpose of ensuring that the United States of America would not enter into World War II, would not oppose Adolf Hitler, would not oppose the aggression of the Nazi Third Reich. Well, that Neutrality Act was deactivated in 1941 immediately at the entrance of the United States of America into the World War. It was not reactivated until 1948, just in time to be able to use all the power of the federal government to go after any and all Americans who would seek to try to save the Jews in Israel from being annihilated. Oh, but that cannot be. Oh, yes, yes, it was. Democrat Harry Truman. It is ironic the Democrat Party that has owned the Jewish vote in the United States of America for a low these past 71 years. But it is historical fact. Yes, the United States federal government would now be able to strip all United States citizens of citizenship and all civil rights if they dared to volunteer for military service in Israel. 
But Harry Truman and George Marshall, despite their monstrous efforts, their efforts to see to it that Israel would be snuffed out at birth, not aborted, but the victim of infanticide immediately after birth by four million extremely well-armed Arabs. Despite their most wicked efforts in concert with the efforts of those in Great Britain and around the globe, despite all of these truly evil efforts, and uh, I'd be remiss in leaving, <laughs> leaving George's second-in-command at the U.N., rather, pardon me, at Secretary of State, State Department, leaving him out of this as well. Dean Acheson, does the name ring a bell? That was his deputy, Dean Acheson. But, again, great work. Yes, he was Secretary of State from January 21, 1947 through January 20, 1949. That helms, <laughs> that is bookends for the May 15, 1948 birth of the modern state of Israel. But... Great man. Again, he received a Nobel Peace Prize in 1953 for his great work, his great efforts. Yes, the United States of America, Britain, Great Britain, Great Great Britain, Great 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 Britain, and our special, special relationship that incredibly, impossibly, miraculously failed. It failed to bring about the annihilation of the Jews. It failed to bring about the destruction of the modern state of Israel. But it wasn't for lack of trying. A number of ships laden with weapons destined for Israel were blocked, weapons confiscated in the ports of New York City and Miami and other major metropolitan ports here in the United States of America. It's impossible that Israel survived. It is literally impossible. They received... Support from how many volunteers worldwide do you imagine? How many? Just pick a number, any number. Again, this is against four million Arabs. And this is coming from nations that, like Britain, Canada, United States of America, threatened and not, <laughs> not empty threats, threatened to strip them of their citizenship and their civil rights, and put them in prison if they did this. How many volunteers do you imagine 
there would have been, you know, who after World War II would have willingness to go back into war and, in fact, engage in a suicide mission on behalf of the Jews. How many worldwide? Let's try 4,000. 4,000 worldwide. 4,000 went to the aid of Israel. But among those 4,000, most pivotally, most critically, were a very, very, very small number who fashioned, cobbled together what would become Israel's Air Force. These volunteers, these 4,000 foreign volunteers, were referred to, and I'm undoubtedly mispronouncing it, as Makal. It's an acronym, a Hebrew acronym, which stands for Volunteers from Abroad. Did they do the bulk of the fighting? No. Did they do the bulk of the dying? No. 6,000 Jews, give or take, lost their lives. That's not counting all of those who were gravely injured and survived. Those who would bear the marks of their wounds for the rest of their lives. But 6,000 Jews lost their lives. 4,000 volunteers came to the aid of Israel from around the world, risking their lives, their limbs, their futures, their citizenship to come to the aid of the Jews in Israel. And these 4,000 were not exclusively Jews. And interestingly enough, those that were Jews were typically secular Jews, non-observant Jews, incredibly and impossibly. And the stories of the volunteers who cobbled together what would become the Israeli Air Force and who were the single most critical component to the survival of Israel. The stories are told in a few documentary movies. Above and beyond, again, I referenced the work of Steven Spielberg's sister, one of his sisters, his youngest sister, Nancy Spielberg, producer, and her good friend, Roberta Grossman, director, I believe. But then another, and by the way, Above and Beyond, which was released as a documentary, is currently being finished as a feature film in order to expand its reach, in order to expand the number of people that become acquainted with the incredible, truly miraculous story. And the title, the full title of that is Above and Beyond the Creation of the Israeli Air Force. 
another documentary, A Wing and a Prayer, another labor of love, this one by Boaz DeVere, who is a lecturer at Penn State University, and he spent years putting this together, seven years on a budget of, get this, $135,000, of which 70000 was his own. More than half of the budget was his own, of this tiny budget, a wing and a prayer. And then there is a third one, the title of which eludes me at the moment. But the stories are absolutely phenomenal, incredible and true, absolutely, utterly true, and absolutely damning of Great Britain and the United States of America. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can and should know now. Thank you.